Welcome to Soulful Connections. I'm Amanda Solar, your host. I started this podcast because I believe when we share our thoughts, our stories, and experiences, we help one another to create more meaningful lives. And I also think that an important part of life revolves around our search for meaningful connection. That seems to only happen when we get real about who we are and we authentically share that. So listen in, try to answer these questions yourself, and let's connect. Today, I am here with Judith McDowell, who has written a book. First of all, I'll just say, remember the ladies. Um, And Judith is president of Piper Legacy Press. Mm -hmm. She is a historian, a writer, and her passion appears to be, and we can talk more about it, um, researching people's histories and sharing their stories. So welcome, Judith. Thank you, Amanda. I really appreciate this so much. So Judith, why you're a writer, and I imagine you've been a writer for a very long time. Yes. Why (laughs) this book, this particular book? Why Remember the Ladies? I, for some reason, many, many years ago, I got into wanting to know more about who is my family, where did they come from, you know, and I would get little tidbits here and there, and um, looking at the name and seeing a little bit like, oh, dad, do you know um, what McDowell means in um, his Irish name? It means son of a dark foreigner, and my father said right away, he says, we're not Irish, we're Scots-Irish, you know, (laughs) (laughs) And so he made that distinction and I was like, okay, I got to, all right, let me figure this out. And of course, to know that um, way back when they all went back and forth between Scotland, Ireland, Scotland, Ireland, that kind of thing happened a lot. So um, that kind of got me started. Then, of course, um, like many other people, and there are millions of people, not just around the world in this country, who want to know more about their ancestry. And lo and behold, along comes Ancestry.com. There's other uh, family tree service. There's other genealogy sites. And a lot of people have joined those sites because they want to get back to knowing we came here. What year did we come? Okay, where did we come from? And why did we come here? So there's that whole issue. And I went along and got into that with a lot of other people and then realized after a while that most of the information that you get on those sites has to do with the men in the family. Along the way, I've been writing for a ton of, non- I can't say a ton, lots of nonprofits over the years. I mean, I spent 30 years writing for nonprofits 
writing about their missions, what's their passion, what they do, how they help society and so forth. But at the same time, I was doing some of my own research, not on the job, but on my own. And um, learning more about how to write a story and pull a story together. And so once I saw some of the stuff like Ancestry has where you can, here's the facts and that kind of makes your story, but it really doesn't make your story. It gives you facts. And okay, this person lived here. The census says, here's where they lived. Okay, the next 10 years later, they may have moved or they may have stayed there. Sometimes you don't always know. Um, or, oh, a family member is missing now. Where'd that family member go? Is, yeah. Did somebody die or did they move on? Did they marry? Um, you don't always know these things. So what I wanted to do was, okay, I wanna make it more of a story. And what I've done, I started a business because of this to help people write their stories. And some of what I have back here are some of the books and the stories that I've helped people with. And I'll just show you one that I actually finished at the same time. Um, I don't know if I wanna, um, at the same time that um, I finished my book. And um, it's, it's a lady, it's her family story. And it took a while to do because um, there was a, a COVID, uh, how do I want to say, uh, her, her partner, husband died of COVID early on. So um, that was really tough and it was tough for her to deal with that. I don't know if I helped her any, but she said, I want to write a love letter to him. And it's in this book. Wow. So for her family, now this is a private book. These are all private books um, for her family. In the future, they will know what affected her life. And um, we gave it a certain title, Dancing in the Rain, because she loves dancing, would always go out dancing, and yet you've got the tough times in life. So how do you get through them? She said, dancing. So, <laughs> so um, you know, so there, that's just one little story. Um, but I've had other people that I've done some books for as well, like an entrepreneur and his wife, and she was a teacher and he went into entrepreneurial stuff. And then the two of them built businesses together. So it, it's that kind of thing. It was their daughter who requested it because she said, um, my parents have helped this particular town. It's up in upstate Pennsylvania. Um, and help build the, the different areas of the town, um, the library, the, you know, different things that they got involved in. And she said, I want that written down. So I talked to both of those people and I'm kind of the ghostwriter when it comes to this. People um, I talk to, they can be all over the place with their story, they'll, they'll skip from here to there. And then, uh, so then I just put it together in the end and kind of give them an outline here. Here's how I think it should go. You tell me if this works for you. And we go through photos 
because they're also a, like a photo book, but there's a lot of text in them. It's not just a photo book. And, um, and stories come out in photos as well. So um, we're able to add a lot of extra stuff that they may have forgotten to tell me. And um, those books um, can take anywhere from six months to a year to do, to complete. Yeah, because when it comes to looking for photos, <laughs> oh I usually sit back on that and they're like, okay, I pull all these photos together, you know, and it, <laughs> it's a whole process. So, <laughs> so that's what we've done. Um, so Judith, what do you find compelling about the notion of ancestry? about our past, about our, our ancestors? I, I think the biggest thing, and, and it's the thing that I've seen other people say, it's about connection. And it's about, you know, we're all, how do I wanna say, tribal in a way, I hate to say that. We, we try and stay away from that kind of thing. <clears throat> but we all want to know certain things about uh, where we came from for one, or it, even now getting into the DNA part. Yeah. Okay. Where did I get that nose? Or where did I get those yeah. ears? Where did I get that eye color from? And, um, you know, so those are, are some of the things that I think people look at a lot. Yeah. And, um, you know, especially like I had um, both parents had brown eyes. I don't have brown eyes. Some of my siblings have hazel eyes. I got the green colored eyes. So it was like, where does that come from? Yeah. Where does the blue eyes? My children are like you, they have blue eyes. So, and that has to do with recessive genes. Yeah. And, um, and blue eyes, they said really kind of came from the Scandinavian countries, those Northern countries. And they figured it started about 10,000 years ago. Oh, interesting, <laughs> so, yeah. So, well, well, you know, I'm always fascinated by it. I am always interested by my ancestry and I'm interested in my husband's ancestry who yeah. doesn't even, you know, have anything directly to do with my own. Right. What role do you think um, that plays in our current life. I mean, is there anything, you know, I always wonder if I had to Ireland, which I never have been, would I feel a connection? You know, do you think about that, about that role mm -hmm. of ancestry and how it plays a role into who we are today? Oh, I, do, I really do. And um, think about all of the, um, the, the groups that people can join. They may like to do a certain type of dance that comes from, you know, their culture, the culture that they came from. Um, there are other people who like to do reenactments. You've got Civil War reenactments in this country. Um, they, so there are things like that that interest people that shows that they have an interest in knowing, and particularly, I think, Civil War you're going to get a lot of people, maybe a lot of men who understand, hey, my great-grandfather was in this unit. They went here, there. I mean, that kind of stuff is 
all over the internet. You can look up just about any particular group, find who was in it, where they went, what they did. And so if you are into that kind of thing, want to know what the uniform was, the weaponry that they used, exactly what jobs, it's out there. And so there's a lot of people interested in doing that kind of stuff. But that's what took yeah. me to the women in yes. particular, because that's not there. Or there yeah. are some women um, who, for instance, during the Revolutionary War, who were what they called camp followers. I don't think, from what I read, George Washington didn't really love that, but it, it happened. But then there are the other women who stayed at home, did what they could because they had little children. They had um, lives, farms to keep up because back then, most of the country were farmers. So, um, so that's, you know, a little bit of that history. So what did that fifth, fourth, fifth, great grandmother, six, however far back, do you know but what really got me started for the book is okay i want to know the first woman in my family who came over here on a ship um you can't always find ship logs they didn't really start keeping them till after the 1800s so before then it can be sketchy you might only know what year they came in and so forth so <clears throat> when i found the, uh, she's the 10th great grandmother who came wow. over in 1634. And I thought, oh my gosh, I need to know what that's like. Yes. Because we've already been in the past years ago up to Boston, see the Mayflower. If you've ever been up there and been on that little, it's a little dinghy. It's almost like, and they're fitting 100 and 150 people on that, wow. taking six to eight weeks maybe sometimes longer to get from England, that's where most of them left from, to come over here. Um, that time period in the 1600s, they called it the Great Migration. And it's not huge compared to some others today, but back then it was kind of a big deal. So sure. compared, um, you know, I love that you're focusing on the women because even growing up, I knew Joseph O'Sullivan came over and about when, and I knew Thomas Irving from Scotland and mm -hmm. I had these male names mm -hmm. and a tiny bit about the male stories, but I really had no notion of the women's stories. And I think about what life must have been like for them. And I think, thank God I'm not them <laughs> because <laughs> I have a tendency to think that it might've been hard doing things that I'm not particularly interested in doing. Right. <laughs> um, and I think they're upon their shoulders. I stand, you know, yes. essentially. And, and, and I, ag I agree with that, Amanda. I really do. I think yeah. we're, <clears throat> we need to look back at, you know, those lives people say, um, oh, life was so much simpler then. Well, that I wouldn't say necessarily simpler. Right. It was very, it was very different. Yes, they had certain chores and things they had to do it. And it might have taken them three times longer to do it than it does for us today. Because we have all these modern conveniences, so sure. to speak. 
But even in this country, um, looking back at all the people who lived in the mining communities and all, they had next to nothing. They didn't, they had privies outdoors. They had to go to a commonwealth, which may have been two blocks away from where they lived. You're, cart, you're learning to cart water. Okay. Somebody says, oh, hey, I'm going to get a rain barrel and let's let the rainwater come in. But then they had to worry about mosquitoes and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, a very different life. Um, a lot of the mining communities, the, the homes that the, the companies had for them were just like a, a clappered place with maybe two or four windows in it, front, back, um, and no insulation. And so what did a lot of those women were putting wallpaper and other stuff up on the walls just to try and keep a, a, a little bit of the cold out in the cold weather. So no wonder they lost so many children and so forth. Yeah. And you know, I love about the, your book, Remember the Ladies. I love um, that you, you give life to the stories. So mm -hmm. I know because I go on Ancestry and I look at, okay, this person had this person and this person, but I don't know their story. I don't know what life must have been like. And I love that you use facts, but a bit of imagination and storytelling mm -hmm. come together. And I think really make it a rich look at life. Thank you. Well, that's what I was trying to do is find out more because Ancestry is one thing. Um, but learning about women in a certain historical time, um, what were, say, the customs, what were the things that they had to do, um, even, even down to where they lived. You have, sometimes you have to do that because different areas, an antebellum woman is going to be different than a woman in the North. Um, that's in this country. Yeah. Just that's just the way it is. The way they dressed was different. The way they ate, even even their cultural mores were different. So, um, you know, it it's just shows different regions have different ways of handling things. And so that's what I was also looking to do with this book. But um, bringing certain things, for instance. Um, the woman that came over in the 1600s, she was a Puritan. So that's back then the English church, the Anglican church had already started. <clears throat> but um, there was a lot of still, it was still a very, um, I guess, kind of rigid, um, was based on Catholicism and a lot of that stuff. And the Puritans said, no, 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 no. You, you don't need all of that stuff they wanted it to be simpler and be more attuned to just what the bible said so um they broke away and a lot of them did come over here and they settled in new england in particular the massachusetts bay colony that's what they started and that influenced our country a lot it influenced the north a lot the south was a, a bit different when you read into all of this but so but they brought they didn't do a lot of change as far as their their cultural aspects 
In other words, they brought that over here with them. Oh, right, right. And so that's yeah, something I wonder, you have to think about. I wonder how much of what we do individually or as a family mm -hmm. is rooted in our ancestry. In other words, you know, how much is just our culture that we don't even know it's our culture, but it's something mm -hmm. that has been passed down or even ancestral trauma to a certain degree that we may somehow carry within us that we don't even understand fully, and you I, know? I, I, I understand what you're saying. And some people say that, that they're, that uh, some of this stuff is kind of built into our DNA. I don't know that they can scientifically prove that at this point, but there are people say there's that remembrance of yeah. a trauma, whatever. Yeah. Um, and so in that respect, it would affect us. And uh, so those are some of the things that we need to look at. But I think the DNA is still in a young phase to learn, you know, everything yeah. right now, it's more like, oh, what physical traits do you have? Or right. if, if there's a disease, hey, does that show up in your DNA? I mean, it's that kind of thing right now more so yeah. than, but there in part of the book it, towards the last chapter, I had, uh, someone had sent me information um, about someone who talked about deep time and, and the idea of deep time being there is actually no time. We see a timeline, but the deep time is everything that has happened before, you know, happens again or it bubbles up. And sometimes we say, do we learn from history? Hmm. Yes, and sometimes no. It's yeah, very sure. often it's the same situations over and over again. Um, yeah. Just kind of coming to the fore. We're not learning from that. Such so, a true statement, Judith. I mean, just looking at the world around us today, oh my goodness, you're yes. right. You're, you're right. right. The, just the countries and the names change in that respect. But yep. still, and even over here in this country, I think... Oh, you know, a, a, a lot of it was done by the English. And then over there, there was a lot of fighting because Scotland and Ireland didn't want to be part of England, but the English were like, oh no, you're going to be part of us. <laughs> right, right. So a lot of that came over here too. And a, a lot of that had to play into the Revolutionary War. For sure. And, uh, people forget that stuff today so well we're not we're not always um we're I think maybe because of our youth as a collective you know as a nation we don't spend as much time looking back as might be helpful for us too right. <laughs> if that makes any sense one of the things I like to say too I mean, now you know because now I'm older <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to say it that way. But now, as a lot of people get older, they have more time to think about this, where they came from, what it meant, where they're going. I think that you can take a better look at where's my life going. Where's where's the future of who we are going um, because of all of this past stuff. Do you have a favorite tale from the book? Is 
it's well first of all is the book based on your specific ancestors yes right yes it is okay. most of it was my mother's side of the family the one story that came from my father's side of the family um, was about the civil war so i i did pick certain time periods that i felt that people could relate to more and i would certainly relate to more and how did those people live through those tough times and um so that's kind of what i pulled on in particular but i think oh do i have a favorite <laughs> i i would say the um they're all because i did so much research for each one of them and i'm not trying to tell people to do all of that that i did i'm basically saying pick one person pick maybe two people that you want to know more about. So you oh, learn about who you are through them. But I think the first story, um, that was just such a wonderful gem. And that's, a, a, that's about a, um, because it was such a different time period back then. It had the 12th, uh, 13th century. Um, and the, the woman's father, had died, she was only 11 years old. Wow. She was the only heir, there was land. And back then women couldn't own the land. They had to marry somebody who would take it over if they wanted to stay on that land. So she was betrothed to a, a knight. Of course, at the time he was just learning to be a knight, but so his parents became her guardians, so to speak. And it's a whole different thing that early betrothal period, they did that a lot back then. Oh, 10 year old girl. Yeah, she's now betrothed to this guy, so forth. Like um, Elvis and Priscilla. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so it's, you're right. So, so it's kind of like, oh my gosh, what was her life like? In, they ended up sticking together, but there was a whole period of huge separation. Um, but I, I had to think that on some level and an emotional level, she learned to love him and he became the love of, of her life, you know? Um, yeah. So that's the way I treated it. Um, a lot of history has treated it that way. They consider it a myth, but it's really not a myth. And in the book is the effigy of the two of them. It's in a little church in England. Um, so, you know, he kills. That really does. And so that I wanted to bring her to life in a certain way. Um, even the next one who who I knew because it was written when she came, she was a maid servant. What what did it mean to be a maid servant coming here to this country if um, if the person you work for brought you, you know? So um, particularly in the North, you would give a couple of years of your life to that person. No salary, nothing. You're just working for them. Unless you could uh, find somebody else or marry somebody else who could buy it for you and get you out of it. But for a lot of people who became indentured servants, and that happened particularly in the South, um, seven years of your life. And if yeah. you did something bad, oh, they might tack on two more years. Oh. 
so it's you know yeah. all this kind of stuff happened and you know we need to learn more about that and i'm talking about some of the stuff that happened before they started bringing africans over to this country too yeah yeah now what about what books do you like to read are oh, you I a fan of historical fiction? What what? Oh, I love historical fiction, and yeah. I've I've read a number of books like that. Um, some of them, you know, dealing with the Second World War. Um, oh, let's see, the Lilac Girls was one I read, and the title of it is uh, is a little. It's like why the Lilac Girls, but the woman who wrote it, um, she's written a couple like that, um, and. Uh, it had to do with a Polish girls in, it dealt with three people, but Polish girls in a camp, um, a Nazi camp, and they were wow. doing experiments on those girls. Well, it was very, yeah, yeah that was a, that's a tough one, a yeah. really tough one. And an American socialite from New York who actually helped them. And that, you know, wow. that's part of the book. So it is, an, it's an interesting story, but there's others that I've read too. I, I read a lot of them. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and that's kind of what, what keeps me going. But I love, this is more of a real women, real stories. Yes, I put my imagination into it. I'm like, what would, what would they say? Would, what would that woman say to her husband? You're leaving me with four children. You're going right. off to the war, you know? Right, right. That, that kind of thing. And, and the one from the Revolutionary War, he would have said, I don't want my children growing up under the British yoke. Because he came from, uh, he was a Dutch. And the Dutch came here first. And it was the, the British who kind of overtook the Dutch. So, um, you know, and, and for the Civil War, a similar type of thing, uh, those things happened. And um, so those are stories that I loved. So, but I, I, I might get into more of them in the future, but um, I, I have written another book and I hope to get it out next summer. And it is historical fiction, but it's based on the life of a maid. So, because I, I did so much research about the maids and all. So oh, that's great. That is so great. Judith, you in the beginning of the book, remember mm -hmm. the ladies, you quote uh, Abigail Adams. Yes. And I love that. I love this quote. Um, it's a famous think, quote. <laughs> yes. Yes. I'll read the, I'll read part of it for those, you know, who, who don't, don't even know, know Abigail Adams is and i'm sure that there are many people who don't know she right. was married to john adams mm -hmm. um but she said do not push such unlimited power into the hands of the husbands remember all men would be tyrants if they could if particular care and attention is not paid to the ladies we are determined to foment a rebellion and will not hold ourselves bound by any laws in which we have no voice, no representation. And it looks like she must have said that in the late 1700s, I guess. Well, 17, 1776, Six. I believe. And it, it was in March of that year. Okay. 
because the men were starting to write and put together, you know, the constitution and, um, you know, come up with the final constitution of the country. And she, um, she, there's evidently a lot of letters from Abigail to her husband, John. Um, they talked a lot about all this kind of stuff. And when you think about um, the country today, um, did the men understand, they probably had no idea what we would end up like now. I mean, ah. that, that's just, hit, uh, not just history, but it's just life moving forward, new. Sure new inventions, all this stuff makes big changes. Um, and that was one of the things I'm, is that I went through the book, um, all of this, looking at the first couple of characters, it wasn't, somebody said, why did you go from the 1200s to the 1600s? I said, because there wasn't a lot of change in between there. Yeah, there were all these little wars along the way, whatever, but there wasn't a lot of change, but it was when they started moving out away from the older countries and coming here that um, that was of interest to me. And then from that point, time seemed to really, I could really kind of tell time picked up, picked up when the stories are getting closer together when you look right. at it. So the right. between the Revolutionary War and the Civil War was that's 150 years, I guess you would say. Yeah. And then from the Civil War to World War One, that's even less. From World War One to World War Two, that's even less. It, it, you're looking at the time span um, change. Interesting. In yeah. It's fascinating that we mark our time by wars and then the pivots that are made. Isn't that interesting? It's just, yeah. it, or, it, you know, like COVID, this is yes. one of those pivots times that's I think. true mm -hmm. that's true so judith i know that they can get your book on amazon is that correct yes they can you just have to put um the title in remember the ladies um by judith a mcdowell that way they'll have the right remember the ladies book right <laughs> and you i mean the cover is i love the cover i know i um, love it i love it too yeah, it, it just kind of gives you the idea of the ladies, yes. but it doesn't give you details. I, I, we kind of looked at, oh, maybe costumes, different costumes, but then you're dating it, it. didn't have the same effect, you know? Yeah. And, you know, I love it because it basically speaks to you. You know, it can be your story and it's so many of our stories. Mm -hmm. um, so Judith, I end my podcast asking people different questions, okay. random questions. <laughs> and if you don't have an answer, just say, skip this one. <laughs> okay. So do you have, you know, a favorite quote or a mantra or something that you refer back to at times? <sighs> I think there's... um. I, th uh, I think there's a, a lot of them, but let me, um, let me just, there was something I was reading this morning that, and I thought, oh, you know, uh, not references, but having to do with the Women's History Month. Um, yeah, as, as we are in Women's History um, Month, so it's the perfect time to talk yeah, about the book. And it was, 
um, um, darn, it's annual themes. I saw one, I'm like, oh man, I love that. And it just reminded me, here's one, women putting our stamp on America, but um, that's, um, oh, here's what I like the most. And this is reclaiming the past, rewriting the future. In other words, learning more about the past can help us not necessarily, I mean, I'm just gonna say quickly, cause a lot of people will say, well, you know, my family is all about fighting, infighting, this fighting. Some, some families are like that dysfunctional. We all have certain things, you know, sure. um, that we don't like, or we want to change. And so looking at that, where did it come from? Um, that can help us learn to change that rather than mindlessly keeping doing the same thing over and over again. I love that. I love that. And we're getting to know, you can't really proceed, I think, until you, you have to know yourself on some level oh, and yes. knowing your family and knowing your history is part of knowing yourself. Right. Um, so I do love that. Right. Um, what about, do you live your life with either a guiding principle or a specific purpose or a spiritual sensibility? Or is there anything that you kind of, that kind of helps to drive you forward in some way? Um, I, I think there's, um, that's one of the reasons why I came on your podcast, the soulful living, <laughs> yeah. because that's what I think is so important is getting to know ourselves, um, having the idea of spirituality. I'm not talking about a particular religious sect, whatnot. Um, yes, I have a certain background. And even though I may have changed it at one point, it that's not the driving thing for me. And it's the spirituality of it. And if um, one other thing is music and I listen to music all the time and I am more of a love classical music. So um, I find that to be a very spiritual connection. And, yes. and that is also what helps me write. Interesting. Yeah. I, I, I listen to music all the time while I write. So. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah. That makes total sense. <laughs> now, what about the best advice that comes to mind <clears throat> that you've ever received or <clears throat> that you like to give? Um, I, I think it has to do with patience. And um, it was a, a former boss of mine years ago who turned out to, who, who was a mentor. And um, I was too anxious, too overly anxious. And, I've, and, I'm, and I will say that with this book too, um, things sometimes happen for a reason. Um, and I was too anxious about having something done a certain way, a certain, Time frame, and um, and if it didn't turn out that way, you know, I got upset. So he just kind of said to me, "Look, I want to show you something." And he took a piece of paper, and he he put like a wall on the piece of paper, and said, "Here you are, and you want to get over here, 
And he said, you know, there's more than one way to get through that wall. And he just like, you could drill through here. You could climb up over here. You could go around and it's going to take a lot longer, but you'll get there. So uh, yeah, I really like that. So that was like one of the things that I, I think about. I have to remind myself of that. Um, this whole book process, as I said, I've done private family books, but putting one out there with the ISBN number on it and and all of that stuff is is a bit different. So I admire you so much <laughs> for doing it. I really, really do. Um, what you. about what do people get wrong about you? What do you think people get wrong about you? <laughs> um, no, <laughs> that I, I don't know. I guess in many, many respects, I've always been very, well, not to my family, but <laughs> to other people, very quiet, you know? So yes, it's that quiet thing. But um, yeah, I've taken a number of tests and, and I'm really more outgoing than, than being inward. Uh, if I'm sitting and writing, yes, that's a very inward thing. But like with the book, you know, you get an editor, you get um, you get first readers to get um, uh, give you a response, tell you what they think, and so forth. So it becomes more of a community affair than just sitting writing. Oh, I'm going to put that out and not have anybody else look at it. So. Yeah, that's it's not necessarily a solitary endeavor. No, it's collaborative more than I think I even thought. Um, what is your favorite trait in somebody, you know, in another person, a trait that you like or admire? Um, I think one thing that um, that I also learned over the years being in the nonprofit world for all that time is listening, learning to listen to people and <clears throat> learning to understand where they're coming from. And it's not just about you and you getting your message out there. And a lot of times you will know when somebody is thinking about um, saying something, they're not really listening to you. And, and that's, um, that's really important, you know, so. Now, what about a trait that you don't like in others? Would it be the people that are just like thinking of their next thought? <laughs> <laughs> well, while they're not, ne not necessarily, but <laughs> not necessarily, but um, oh, how can I? I I guess a certain impatience, which you know I've seen in myself. So. Yeah. When, if I see that somebody, I, I might not like it, but it's always things we see in ourselves. So I'm learning that more and more and more. <laughs> I really am. <laughs> and then, you know, I like to end the podcast talking a little bit just about your hopes for yourself and then your hopes for, for others. Hmm. Small questions, Judith. <laughs> <laughs> But you really throw them out there. <laughs> um, oh, hopes for myself, you know, um, I want to be able to continue doing um, the writing and getting more thoughts um, and stories out there. Um, 
having people think a little bit more about, you know, what women do to contribute to society, um, to the world. We're, we're at a point where we have women entrepreneurs and so forth. And isn't, you know, in the book, I do put in the one story about how women didn't get the vote till 1921 here. But, uh, you know, and I just read something, I think Canada was even later was maybe not the boat, but being able to be senators and so forth. Um, it wow. was in 1918, 1718, somewhere in there that there was a first woman in Congress. That didn't happen before that point. So it's been slow coming. So what Abigail Adams said was really kind of slow in coming but i i do think we're we're more there sometimes we see things going backwards a little bit but i think those are temporary because the wave is still kind of pushing things forward um and i think the the, the end game is to understand more that men and women both have roles to play and being able to work together rather than trying to depress somebody else is where we really should be going. Um, there was something I was reading just recently about um, a type of law in Ireland called the Brehan Law, I think. And it was, they had more respect for women and women were allowed to do a lot more um, once that law was pushed aside that's when you see so much of women being depressed as far as what they could do what they could hold as far as land and so forth so um i find that to be interesting but again we it's a, another wave of pushing forward yeah that's wonderful i mean we've come so far and yet we still have a ways we to go still have ways to go Yes, yeah, we do. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. Well, Judith, I love that you did this. I love that you're exploring ancestry. It's one of my favorite, favorite things to think about. And I'm so, so, you can see my copy has little like, little, <laughs> <laughs> the way I read. Um, but things I loved in it. I love that you wrote this. I'm so impressed. And I wish you Thank all you. the best with it. Oh, thank, thank you so much, Amanda. I really appreciate this. This was fun. I love it. Awesome. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Hey, thanks for listening. Giant thank you goes out to show advisor Roseanne Griffiths, the talented musician Bill Aronson, who wrote, produced, performed the Soulful Connections theme song. And a thank you goes out to Brad Sanders for creating the Soulful Connections logo. Love it. That's new this year. So much gratitude to these guys and to my friends and family who continue to listen and guide me. And once again, to you for listening. I would love to hear from you. Please shoot me an email at soulfullife at gmail.com. That's S-O-L-F-U-L. L-I-F-E at gmail.com.